Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Claw disease can really vary from very mild to very severe. We can see these pets come in with just a couple cracked nails, a couple maybe lifting, to completely being lame because they're so uncomfortable. Symmetrical lupoid onychodystrophy is a really interesting disease. We don't see it super often. It's reported to maybe affect about 1% of dogs, but it is something that can really cause a lot of discomfort for pets and a lot of concern for the owners. Um, You hear it called symmetrical lupoid onychodystrophy. Symmetrical because usually we're having more than one paw affected, multiple claws are mostly affected in these cases. Lupoid refers to the type of inflammation that can be seen. So when you hear us talk about lupus, whether it's DLE, SLE, SLO, it is a form of inflammation um, that occurs. And then onica dystrophy, onica meaning claw, dystrophy obviously meaning abnormalities. You'll also sometimes hear it called canine symmetrical onychomedesis or symmetric lupoid onychitis. So it is a really interesting disease and one that we've really kind of changed how we diagnose and and manage. So symmetrical lupoid onychodystrophy, we often just call it SLOW for the acronym SLO, usually occurs in young to middle-aged dogs. There are some reports that Gordon Setters in German Shepherd dogs can be predisposed. I definitely have seen this more in German Shepherd dogs compared to many other breeds. Sometimes you'll see English Setters affected, um, Boxers, Doberman, really any breed can be affected. Um, I have seen it in one cat, but primarily this is a disease that we mostly see in dogs. And like I said, the clinical signs can really vary. Sometimes in the early diseases, if we just have one claw or just one paw with multiple claws affected, dogs will just be licking and it can initially be mistaken for allergies because dogs are just licking and chewing that area because they're really irritated. If we catch it early and there's only one claw that's affected, it can be mistaken for just being a traumatic lesion that they're running around the dog park and all of a sudden they just broke off a claw or it was lifting because it got tripped up on something. Um, we can see the claw actually be sloughed off. So sometimes they'll just not notice the dog bothering it, but all of a sudden there's just no claw that is present. Usually if we catch them early and it is a focal disease, just one claw or one paw affected, within time, maybe weeks, maybe even months, uh, more and more claws will be affected. And you'll actually see that the claw can start lifting from that claw plate or the quick. You can also get a lot of perinechia, so inflammation and debris, and it's really common within the claw fold to actually have an infection. I have cultured very severe infections within the claw fold, so just like any other aspect of dermatology, please make sure that you're actually checking for infection no matter what the primary disease is. The claws can appear really short, 
brittle, um, misshapen, even as they're trying to grow back. A lot of them never fully normalize. You'll have some striations, some kind of abnormalities to that claw itself. We don't really understand the full pathogenesis of uh, slow in dogs. There's probably some genetic links since we do see some breeds that are uh, more likely to have this disease, but we really don't know the full ins and outs of the disease process. There is um, some suspicion that hypothyroidism, so having low thyroid hormone, can potentially present as SLO. So in a lot of these cases, when they first come to present to us, to roll that out as a possibility, we'll actually run um, thyroid panels. I personally run TSH with free T4 by ED, but obviously there's lots of different panels that can be run to see if it truly is a hypothyroid dog. That's something that's a pretty inexpensive, easy disease to treat that if it is contributing to this, we want to make sure that we catch. Um, there's some reports that maybe about 17 to 20% of dogs with SLO um, can have hypothyroidism, but a large majority of them don't. So then we have to look for other possibilities. You want to get a really good history from the owner about things like new drugs, new vaccines, because we can see forms of vasculitis also affect the claws and cause them to lift and sloughed off. There are also some reports you can find in the literature of food allergies or food reactions causing this. Um, this isn't something that I've really seen in the clinic, but you can see it reported. So, you know, potentially looking into was there a recent food change? Are they having GI issues? Are they paritic? Any other places can be really helpful. So if I have these cases come in, again, I'm asking, are there anything new? Did we um, have a new vaccine? Did we have a new medication, a new supplement, anything that was different that could have inspired some sort of drug reaction, um, potentially checking thyroid if the owners are able to, and then just getting that really good history um, about dietary changes. For diagnosis, so again, cytology everything. I probably don't have to tell you guys that anymore, but we want a cytology and look for things like bacteria and yeast infections. Um, if there are a lot of bacteria, lots of cocci, lots of rods, or a mixture of the two, um, I will culture these. I will just really try to dig into that claw fold or I'll kind of roll that claw fold back. And I sometimes find pus, purulent debris in these areas. I have found them when we actually go to lift the claw up or trim off the claw. I've had pus shoot out of these. That can be extremely painful. So making sure we're addressing that infection and getting a culture if it's necessary um, can be really helpful. Now, traditionally, um, this has been a disease that it is suggested to potentially potentially amputate the third phalanx of an infected uh, claw in order to make a diagnosis. Now this can be extremely difficult to even get a diagnosis from that. It has to be decalcified because you're sending in bone um, and looked at with a pathologist. And a lot of times it can be really, really difficult to truly get a good look at the inflammation causing this process. It is suggested that if a dew claw is affected and you really want to make sure that it's not anything else that could be causing this disease that maybe select the dew claw since obviously that's not going to affect how the pet uh, bears weight. But they'll look for hydropic and lichenoid um, interface dermatitis. So basically a lot of dermatitis and inflammation happening at the junction around the epidermis um, in the dermis itself. And that's where we get that pattern uh, description of lupus. But really not many of us truly suggest biopsying these 
if you get to the point where multiple claws are affected, we will just treat them based on the clinical signs, their dermatologic examination, and the history. We, I really don't amputate these. I'd only suggest maybe them go out for amputation if I really think that there's something else that could be causing this. Truly, if it's vasculitis or SLO, we're going to treat it very similarly, um, and it just isn't necessarily that helpful to suggest amputation. So don't feel like you have to amputate them. You can try to treat them more conservatively if you only have one or two affected and watch for the progression of these. Um, treatment, it can really vary, again, depending on the severity of the case and what you're seeing. One thing I will say as far as comfort, if you have a dog come in and they have multiple claws that are lifted, um, if they're loose, if they're wiggly, one of the best things we can actually do is either heavily sedate or anesthetize these pets and actually do a claw avulsion. So I'll take big like alligator forceps. I'll, even though I have them sedate or under anesthesia, I'll put a little block of lidocaine bicarb around that area where it connects and then we pull them. Now they have to be loose and actually willing to come off. Some of these, if they're more um, tough, like they're really adhered, you might not get them off by just doing an avulsion of the claw. But if you can, a lot of times they feel better a lot faster because it is that claw actually lifting up and causing so much pressure on the claw fold, on that digit when they're walking. I've had dogs coming in really tenderfooted. We will go through, remove all the ones we can, and then they'll pop up and feel a ton better right away just having that pressure removed. So we're going to evolve the claws that we can. Again, we can't necessarily do all of them, but if they're really loose, they're really lifted, it can make them feel a lot better. We're going to identify infection, whether that's when we trim all the nails back, there's pus, we're going to sample it or looking in the claw fold itself. We're going to treat these for a good extended periods of time for antibiotics, um, potentially based on culture, depending on the history of what that pet's been on, what the owners are able to financially do and how much infection you're finding underneath the microscope. Now, treatment from there can really, really vary. Um, This is an area where fatty acids can be really helpful, whether you're actually giving them oral fatty acids, and there's tons out there, there's lots of different doses that can be used, whether you use the manufacturer's dose or something else that's reported. Um, But you can actually put them on oral fatty acids. You can find one of the diets that are really high in fatty acids. So now we have some skin diets that have really good fatty acid profiles that could be used. Um, You also potentially some of the joint diets. Um, JD historically has been used to help with high fatty acids could also be used. So there's lots of different dietary things you could do um, if you're trying to supplement fatty acids, but oral fatty acids have also definitely been reported to be helpful as well. Um, using doxycycline niacinamide, traditionally tetracycline, but that can be difficult to find, um, has been reported to be helpful. There's lots of the discussion over the use of long-term things like doxycycline just because of the antimicrobial stewardship obviously we're trying to do, um, but depending on the dose you're using and how you're monitoring them and the response to it, it definitely can be a treatment that's really helpful. So doxycycline is 5 to 10 mg per kg. Um, you know, once or twice a day, depending on the dosing range you fall into. And then niacinamide can be 250 milligrams um, to 500 milligrams um, twice daily, kind of depending again on the size of the dog. Usually we use about the 10 kilogram cutoff. So if they're over 10 kilograms, 500 milligrams, um, I do it twice a day. It has reported 
to be used up to three times a day, but that can be hard for owners, less than 10 kilograms, then you could use a 250 milligram tablet. Very easy for them to find over the counter or you can carry it within your clinic as well. Um, so those can be helpful. Pentoxifiline can also be helpful, especially if we do think there's a vasculitic component. So using pentoxifiline, just like we would use with the vasculitis case, um, also can be extremely helpful. Um, and that can be 20, 30 mg per keg. You'll see it reported uh, every eight to 12 hours, depending on the case. And if they do really well, then over time, you can try to actually um, bring these cases down in their dosing. So I've had some that respond really well. We're able to pull back. You know, if we were three times a day, go to twice a day, or if they're twice a day, even maybe go to once a day. Um, there are some cases, usually I find most of these cases respond well to either doxycycline niacinamide with fatty acids. Um, like I said, maybe needing something like pentoxifiline, messing with their diet just to help with the fatty acid intake there. But some cases can be really tough. And there are some cases that either temporarily or even for their long-term management, you might have to reach for other immunosuppressives. So I've had some where they do well most of the year, but maybe a flare we need to use steroids. Some really difficult cases may just need to stay on steroids. Um, you can even potentially reach for things like cyclosporin, um, azathioprine. Again, this is not as common compared to other autoimmune diseases we deal with, um, but you can get really difficult cases that might need um, that, that sort of immunosuppression because their body's just having this really strong inflammatory response, that lupus inflammation that we kind of talked about. Um, so kind of depending on the case, what they've been on, what they tolerate, because obviously there's some pets that won't tolerate certain medications. I tend to start more on the gentle side, fatty acids, make sure there's no inciting cause we can identify, maybe pentoxifiline, uh, maybe doxycycline niacinamide, really difficult cases, maybe adding in steroids, cyclosporin, maybe azathioprine, though that's not very common. So I hope that's really helpful. I know this is the disease we don't see as often, but it is a bit of a unique one. Um, I have made other posts on my social media before showing you some pictures of different claw cases. But if you have any questions, then certainly reach out. Um, you can find my social media at the derm vet on instagram and facebook or if this is stuff that interests you we talk about cases like this all the time in the derm nerds community which i have told you guys about before it's a really fun community we're really vamping it up and i hope you guys will all consider joining